We started a, a new teaching series about eight weeks ago, uh, straight out of John chapter 15, and uh, we've dedicated eight weeks to 17 verses, so that's, that's tough for me to kind of go that kind of methodical, and today we're going to wrap up this teaching series uh, really looking at, at verse 16, but uh, because we're kind of, kind of at the end, let's, let's just review these 17 verses. I'm just going to put them on the screen. Let's read this passage. Uh, let's read it together. Jesus speaking to his disciples, we think, you know, sometime between the Last Supper and his arrest and, and, and torture and, and ultimately death and resurrection, these famous words Jesus says to his disciples, he says, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You've already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches, and those who remain in me and I in them will produce, what are those two words? Much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. And this brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me, so remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and you remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends, and you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. You are my friends since I've told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. So if you walked into any school uh, in our area, uh, we kind of teach in, in, in America from a Hellenistic uh, viewpoint. So we kind of teach in, in numbers or in sequence. So, so most of you grew up learning truths like number one, number two, number three, or, or maybe the way you were taught well, is A, and then you go to B, and then you go to C, and, and this kind of sequential way of teaching. But Jesus is a Hebrew. He's Jewish. Speaking to uh, uh, other Jews, speaking to a Jewish audience, and you need to understand a little bit, uh, as we've been in this teaching series, that uh, uh, the, the Jewish, the, the Hebrew mindset works different from uh, a Hellenistic mindset that we teach, teach with today, where we teach in sequential order, A, B, C, 1, 2, 3. The Hebrews taught using word pictures. So Jesus... Uh, uh, instead of saying, well, number one, you need to, number two, you need to, number three, you need to, Jesus would say something like, well, you know, I am the bread of life. 
And all of a sudden we have this fresh scent of bread and, and we picture bread in our, in our heads. And in the same way Jesus enters into John chapter 15, he wants to have this intimate conversation with his disciples about what relationship with him really looks like. And instead of going, well, number one and number two and number three, Jesus says, you know, I am the vine and you are the branches. Do you see how this works? And so from this, we develop this Flourish series because it's all about producing fruit. It's about the production of fruit. That's how you know you're actually growing. That's, that's proof, actually, that you're connected to the source, the true vine. You're not the true vine. You're just a branch. And God is in this picture, too, as the gardener who, who trims the vines back. Even vines that produce fruit get, get trimmed. They get, produce, they, get, they get pruned so that they will produce even more fruit. Jesus says in this passage, he says, you are my true disciples when you produce much fruit. You are my true disciples when you flourish. And so for eight weeks, we've been digging through these, these verses, these passages about vines and branches and pruning uh, we've looked at the, the passage again and again. Jesus uh, repeats one of his favorite words in Greek, the, the word meno, which means remain in him. We talked about the power of that word. It's kind of like Red Rover being scared of the third grade. You have to go back and listen to previous teachings if, to, to get those pictures. We talked about uh, uh, verse 8, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory, something hidden that's being revealed a couple of weeks ago, my friend Josh from Ethos talked about the power of love and obedience, and there's this interesting section that, that Jesus talks uh, uh, about uh, being friends of God, no longer slaves of God, but you're really a friend of God when you obey my commands. And, and uh, we talked about this picture of flourishing last week when we talked about love and obedience, like, like what the, the environment, the way to create a healthy, flourishing, fruitful life, the, the fabric, the rhythm, the, the way that this happens, this kind of life happens is love expressed through obedience. You guys remember that from last week? Like the path of a flourishing, fruitful life is love expressed through obedience. So this week, I want to come back and land on verse 16. But, but before we get there, I just want to ask you, uh, uh, have any of you take a, taken a close look at the Nashville skyline lately? Have you seen this? What stands out in this picture? What do you see? Cranes. <laughs> Construction cranes. I, I had a friend, I don't know if it's true or not, my friend in my neighborhood, he said at one point in time, he stood in one spot in Nashville and could count. How many, how many construction cranes do you think he could count? He said he counted 32. 32 construction cranes. Some of you work downtown. Maybe you can, you can attest to this. Um, the, it's actually like the, the construction cranes so, are, are so prevalent downtown. Some, some uh, th thrifty entrepreneurs have found a way to make money out of this. You can actually get a t-shirt. <laughs> Have you noticed that uh, Nashville seems to be growing, right? Seems to be growing. Uh, have any of you tried to buy a house lately? Pretty easy, right? Like there's just tons on the market. 
Depending on which report you look at, Nashville is in the top 10 to 20 fastest growing cities in the U.S. Uh, I, I know that uh, five years ago in Franklin, uh, it, just in this part of, of the Nashville metro area, uh, in Franklin, five years ago, they were building 200 houses a year. Now they're building 1,200 houses a year. Williamson County schools are growing, uh, uh, in our county, in Williamson County, the schools, the schools are growing by 1,000 students a year right now. 1,000. The entire area in which we live right now is projected to double in size. Our entire population is going to double in size in less than 10 years. So uh, do any of you like math? Come on, are there some mathletes in here? I know there are. Uh, I'm, I'm no good at math, uh, for sure, uh, but, but I'm learning some things. Believe it or not, my, uh, my eight-year-old daughter is amazing at math and teaches me new things all the time. But uh, uh, I'm not, I'm not getting any math, but I'm not good at math, but I'm, I'm learning some things. Uh, for example, the, the difference between multiplication and addition. So my daughter came home and she gave me this example. So she... She said, if I, if I gave you a penny and we added a penny each day for 30 days for a month, how many pennies would you have at the end of a month? How many? It's not your question. Yeah, it's 30. You'd, you'd have 30 pennies. But if I gave you a penny and then we multiplied it or doubled it each day, so that on day one, you'd have one penny. On day two, you'd have two pennies. On day three, you would have four pennies. On day four, you'd have eight pennies and so on, right? You understand how this works? So if we doubled the number of pennies or multiplied them by themselves each day, on day 10, you would have $5.12. On day 20, you would have $5,000. $5,252.88 pennies. And on day 30, how, many, how much do you think you'd have? On day 30, I did the math, and you, you may need to double check me. I'm no good at this. This is why I'm not a trustee. Um, on day 30, you would have $10,737,418.24. Pretty cool, huh? Uh, what if we applied that same equation to the church? So uh, I, I'm going to try to do some math for you on the screen here. So uh, I, I want you to see, you see, okay, so we have a time frame on the left of years, and then uh, I want to spend some time in that first column. So uh, we're just going to talk about addition. So say in year one, we had a church of 200 members. Uh, we talked about we're not going to use members anymore. We're just going to call them friends. Uh, so uh, if you have a church of 200 friends and that church grows by 25% every year, right? Okay, so that's pretty optimistic. That, that's great. I mean, we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and everything, but come on. Uh, uh, if, if a church of 200 grew by 25% annually, at year four, a 200-member church would be, what do you think? Go ahead and, Rob, go ahead and put that on there. There you go. So at year four, a 200-member church growing 25% annually would be 400 members. Not too shabby, right? At year 10, who can do the math in your head? At year 10, a 200-member church growing 25% uh, by 25% annually 
would be 1,200 friends. Pretty good, right? All of a sudden, you've reached megachurch status. Um, uh, incidentally, less than a fraction of a percent of churches in the U.S. ever reach that number. In 20 years, your church that started with 200 would look... Uh, okay, let's just do all the math together. Sorry. Uh, in, in 20 years... Uh, your church would reach 6,400 friends. That's pretty impressive, right? Uh, now you're in a very small segment of churches, uh, incredibly small. At year 25, your church would reach 16,000. At year uh, 30, your church would reach 32,000. That'd be pretty impressive, right? It'd be hard to find a parking space here. You know, it's, it'd be tough. 32,000. But what if we did the same thing, but instead of it growing by addition, what if we uh, applied the multiplication principle? So imagine a church where, and, and we're going to start conservatively, we start with 10 people. And these 10 people, imagine 10 people here at Aspen Grove, 10 people make a commitment to disciple 10 more people in a year, all right? So in, in a whole year, 10 people disciple 10 people, but with the express purpose that the 10 people, they teach about Jesus. They teach to how to walk in alignment with Jesus. They inform them about Jesus. You, you spend a whole year with 10 people, spend a whole year with one person, right? And at the end of that year, they break, and those 10 people expand and do the exact same thing with someone else. Are you with me? All right, so let's talk about multiplication. So uh, in... Uh, uh, you start with 10 people. By year four, you've moved up to an incredible, massive number of how many? 80. <laughs> this is just explosive power of multiplication happening, right? That 400 looks a lot better than 80. But look what happens by year 10. Go ahead. By year 10, that one person that you've discipled, who has discipled one person, who's discipled one person, by year 10... Now you've discipled 5,120 people. Now things are really going to take off. Go ahead and show year 20. You've reached more than the entire, almost double the entire population of Nashville. Keep going. By year 25, we would have reached more than the entire population of the United States of America. And then look at this. It's actually year, somewhere between year 29 and year 30. That's, that's a big number. Is that, is that billion? Five billion, 368 million, 709,120 people. That's uh, right now the population of the earth is what, three billion, three and a half billion, somewhere. Uh, India, who can count them? I mean, they're, they're going like crazy, throwing the whole numbers off. But that's what we're, we're close to, to doubling the entire population of the earth. And where did it start? Started with 10. I think it's important to know that um, we're going to talk about this more. But the church, um, I was going to say the church needs a new strategy. But, but the reality is the church needs to go back to Jesus' original strategy. You know, one's focus in, in, this, in this picture, and, and I know maybe you feel like that's like, did I just show you a church growth like, Ponzi scheme, or is this some sort of pyramid thing? Maybe so, I don't know. But one's focus is on attendance, and the other is on mission. Very, very few churches 
are investing in a kind of discipleship process that actually produces disciples that make disciples. Um, even though most churches never reach that 1,200 mega church level, we're much more comfortable with the attendance side, with the addition side. Less than uh, 4% of churches reproduce themselves. So uh, most churches think only about the people that come to their church over a lifetime, but they think very rarely about, oh, what if we did more churches? What if we did campuses or sites or, or plants on purpose, not those other kind that, that go their own way? Um, we, we spend a lot of effort in, in growing through addition but pretty infrequently do we multiply and actually send disciples. Uh, I've actually had two conversations lately. Maybe this is too much for you. Maybe this is just going to totally blow your mind. But I've had two conversations lately with, about Aspen Grove planning churches. So we have 130 friends. We average close to 100 on a Sunday. Does that blow your mind? What if we on purpose began to plant multiplying churches. So already, so instead of one, there's two, and now we have a chance. But, but I, I would say as, as intriguing and as, as exciting that is, and I love the church, and, and I think it's a critical piece of, of God's kingdom, but by itself, like e- even if you do the math of the population growth of our area, planting more churches isn't ever going to be enough. I think Jesus knew that addition wasn't the answer. So let's look at verse 16. Powerful words. Jesus says to his followers, to his disciples, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. Let's just break this apart and, and walk through it together. Says, you didn't choose me, I chose you, I appointed you. Uh, this is really penetrating language. Um, it, it's the same kind of language uh, uh, when, uh, when uh, priests who work in the temple were selected, like Levites were selected to work in the temple. It's that same kind of language, like chosen for a specific task, chosen for, for a ministry. Uh, it's the same kind of language used when uh, 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 God chooses a, or, or Moses chooses Joshua, if you guys remember that story, or God chooses individuals. Uh, this language Jesus uses in, in verse 16, you didn't choose me, I chose you, is, is highly deliberate. Do you get that? Do you get the weight of that? Like, like, well, I looked at everyone and you were the ones that were left. No, that's not what's happening. <laughs> This is a highly deliberate choice. Jesus says, I picked you out myself. Now, this idea of, of being chosen, of, of maybe sometimes we would refer to it as being called or, or a calling, is, is sometimes pictured very romantically, like this calling of God's this, uh, this romantic thing. But, but, but I would tell you, I mean, from my experience, calling and being chosen by God is, is often... A, a pretty difficult thing um, because it, it means something more of you is required than you are capable of giving or, or, or have ever given. Uh, uh, I was trying to explain uh, um, 
honestly, I, I felt like God was calling, uh, and we can tell you the story some other time, but my wife and I, we felt very called that God was calling us to serve at this church, to serve at this place. Uh, we left one of those mega churches, 6,000 member church to come and serve here. And we did that because we felt like God was calling us. And, and uh, I, I don't want you to get too romantic a picture of that because it wasn't an easy thing. I, I describe calling as like sleeping on a bed of walnuts. Uh, like it's, it's uncomfortable. <laughs> like uh, uh, it's, it's not easy. It's like until you deal with this, this is, this is not going away. And it's this idea of being chosen, of, of God is choosing us, calling us out to, to participate in something greater than, than what we even think we're capable of doing or capable of giving. Um, I, I read an interview um, uh, not too long ago. So this, this interviewer interviewed a, a Navy SEAL, so the big buff military uh, uh, um, hot shots and, and uh interviewed this Navy SEAL and wanted to know, well, what does it mean to be a Navy SEAL? And the Navy SEAL said, all right, well, come outside. And so the SEAL took the interviewer outside to a pull-up bar, to a chin-up bar, and said, okay, how many pull-ups can you do? And so the interviewer said, well, I'm not in great shape, but I'll do my best. The interviewer climbed up to the chin-up bar and grunted out six chin-ups and then fell to the ground. I was like, whew, I'm done. I'm exhausted. I'm wiped out. And the Navy SEAL said, okay, you're done. You can't do any more. And the interviewer said, yeah, man, I, I did six. I, I'm pretty proud. That's, that's all I can do. And the Navy SEAL said, okay, do 100 more. And the interviewer said, you know, I, I just did six. I'm pretty done. I'm pretty wasted. And the Navy SEAL said, we're going to stay here in this spot until you do 100 more. And the interviewer uh, recounts this ordeal and said it took hours, hours and crying and weeping and begging and pleading. But after hours of effort, actually grunted out 100 more pull-ups and chin-ups. I think that's what it means to be chosen by God. I think that's what it means to be called out. Like, it's this kind of idea that we kind of all have our limits, our breaking point. This is as far as I can go. I can go no further. But then we receive this, this God says, you know, I chose you. We used to take teenagers uh, on this thing called Wilderness Trek. Oh, I loved it. it was, you guys know me. It's right down my alley. So we would take groups of teenagers, about 20, and uh, it, it happens in Colorado. And uh, what happens is we, you just spend a week hiking through the mountains of Colorado. Uh, if the weather holds and everything works out, we'll actually make a summit of a 14,000-foot mountain. Uh, and, and it's an awesome experience. I, I grew up camping and hiking and love that whole, I love that whole world. But when you take teenagers that all they've ever done is this thing... <laughs> And there's no electronics and there's no electricity and you, everything that, that you want to eat and sleep in or stay warm with or bathe with, you have to carry on your back. Uh, man, it, it is just this awesome experience. And maybe it sounds like torture, but, but it's gorgeous and beautiful. And so we go on this long drive and uh, uh, as we're giving gear out and the, all the teens are like trying on their backpacks and, and testing them out, the guides go through and, and pick the crew leaders and they always pick the new new people to be crew leaders, which seems really peculiar. Like, why would you choose these people? And the crew leaders, the first timers, have to lead the entire group up the mountain. 
Uh, I, I won't share her name, but, and, it, and it happened every year, but uh, there comes a point that first day when they're carrying everything they own, doing something they've never experienced before, dealing with altitude and weather and uh, this whole new experience that teenagers reach the end of themselves. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> it's not pretty. <laughs> It's not. Uh, uh, Emily Lemons used to, uh, she works in our children's area right now. Uh, she used to come with us. She was one of these ones. Um, but never fails. That first day, the teen carrying this great weight comes to the end of what they think is possible. And uh, I remember one girl in particular who just laid down on the trail. Laid down like I can go no further. And, and I mean, it is the, the most dramatic crying. This is it. Call the helicopter. <laughs> Get me off the mountain. You know, I know teens are, teens are known for drama or can be, right? Like the eyes rolling back in the head, rolling white. I'm going to die. I can't breathe. And the guys just simply, we just, you, honestly, you just kind of wait it out. You know, let them have their little mountain tantrum. It's okay. And, and uh, I've seen them be forceful, but mostly, they're, it's, mostly it's just a pretty gentle time of, you know, we're just going to sit here and wait. We're all just going to wait. We're not going to go on. We're all going to go together. And we chose you to lead us. So we're going to wait till you're ready. And you know what happens? It takes a little while. Sometimes it takes prayer. Sometimes it takes some encouragement. But it doesn't take too long. They get up. They collect themselves. And we make it to our, our high camp or we make it to the summit. And as we sit around and we pray and we worship that night, you know what they say? I never thought I could make it. But look what I did. And they, had this, they have this great eyes open kind of moment where like, man, I... That's all that I thought I had. I didn't think I had anymore. I didn't think I could go one step further. I thought I was going to die. I thought that was it. And now look at where I'm at. And I think that's what it means. I think that, I know that's, that's kind of a lot of images, but I think when Jesus says, you didn't choose me, I chose you, I think that's what he's saying. I think he's saying, trust my perspective of your potential more than what you think is possible. I think a lot of Christians choose Christ and kind of think that's it. What they don't realize is that Christ also chooses them. And as is always the case, when God chooses a person, he does so for a purpose. And Jesus says, I chose you. I appointed you for this purpose to go and produce lasting fruit. It goes on and says, you know, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. I think that's, uh, and this is just Adam's thought, but, but I think that's a way of him saying God provides for his purpose. When you step into this calling, when you trust my call on your life, man, you don't, you don't have to worry about anything. God, God's word doesn't come back empty, but God will provide for his purpose. Um, so I've met the mayor of Franklin uh, twice, and both times I've made an idiot of myself. 
I'm sorry to say I'm not a good representative of our church sometimes. So once uh, um, the mayor Franklin was actually in our building for an event, we had a, oh man, is it our senator? Who's Coker? Corker? Coker? Is he a senator or congressman? I don't know. See, this is why it was right after I came here, we had this big event at our church and we had him come and and uh, the mayor, Franklin, came to our building, and I was new here. I didn't know anyone, and I just, you know, I was meeting people, and I walked up, and I shook this guy's hand, and I said, hi, I'm Adam. I'm pastor of this church. What do you do here? <laughs> and he said, well, I'm the mayor. And I said, well, I'm sorry. I will go hide in my office from never come out again. Um, uh, recently, though, uh, uh, I got asked to... Um, they, they have a monthly mayor and alderman's meeting where they kind of go over issues of the city and all that kind of stuff. And uh, my phone rang here at the church, and they asked me to come and pray at the mayor and alderman's meeting. So uh, I, I got to meet the mayor again, uh, Mayor Ken Moore, and uh, uh, walked in the meeting, and here comes the mayor. I was like, not going to make an idiot of myself, not going to make an idiot of myself. And, and I shook his hand and said, hi, I'm Adam. I heard you guys need a lot of prayer. And, <laughs> and see, I thought it was funny. But he didn't think it was funny, which is more funny to me. I said, sorry, sorry. I'm here to pray. I know you'll never invite me again. Um, and so the mayor and I, we got to spend a few moments together, just, you know, just chit-chatting. And uh, um, as I listened to him talk, like the things for the meeting just started kind of to flow out of him. And... and um, I realized pretty quickly that he was worried. Um, and he was worried because uh, uh, all the construction cranes in Nashville. He's worried because of all the growth that's coming to a thousand students a year coming to our schools. And, and he just kind of, without even trying, you know, without even thinking about it, this stuff just kind of started to pour out of him. You know, it, all this growth is great on one hand, uh, uh, but, but on the other hand, it's, you know, he's thinking about, this is overwhelming our resources. And, and I, I don't know how our, we can't, our infrastructure, we can't keep up with all the houses and the, and the growth and people coming. And, and, and I know it's probably, even as I was talking about some of this, it, it's, it's easy to kind of think like him, like, like some of you are already dreading it, right? Like, what's the traffic going to be like? What's, what's the line at the grocery store going to look like? But even as the mayor was kind of, kind of having a moment of worry about all this growth and expansion, for me, honestly, uh, I, I couldn't help but get a little excited. In my head, all I could think was that God was teeing them up for us. You know, so I have the... Uh, I've got some awesome missionary friends doing work around the world, but some of my friends in Africa are some of the most passionate, dedicated missionaries I've ever been around. So in this sub-Saharan area of Africa, I went and visited some of my friends, and um, they, they, my friends were all from the U.S., so they spoke English, and they didn't speak the native language of this sub-Saharan country. And so they had to learn the, the language of the people. If they're going to share Christ with them, share the gospel with them, they had, they had to learn the language. Well, the problem is that all the people who know that language, none of those people speak English either. These, the people who can teach them the language, they all speak French. So my friends 
spent two years, my, my missionary friends spent two years learning French so they could learn the native language of the people that they wanted to reach in French. They spent two years learning French before they could even learn a different language in the language they just learned so that they could share Christ with this people group. You don't have to travel thousands of miles away. <laughs> you can even sleep in your own bed at night. You don't even have to learn a new language. Are you tracking with me? In just a few moments, uh, we're going to have a, a, a time of communion together. And, and I want to share some more thoughts, but I just want to introduce this space. So communion is an awesome place of, of reflection, of, of repentance, of asking for forgiveness, of laying stuff down. But, but also, as, as you take the, the bread, which represents the body of Christ and the, the blood of Christ, I, I want you to really today, I really want you to focus on that you didn't choose me, I chose you phrase. Ask yourself, what does it mean to be chosen? So in just a few moments, I'm going to dismiss you and let you go. There's tables around the room. We'll just create a, a space for that to happen. But I want to share a few closing thoughts with you today. Uh, and I'll go ahead and invite the worship team. You guys, if y'all want to go ahead and come back up. Show that picture one more time. Not only has God given us an incredible gift in his son, Jesus Christ, he has given us an incredible mission. And I know what... Uh, uh, I know what I'm talking about, especially if we begin to think in terms of multiplication. If we think about 10 people sharing Christ with 10 people over the course of a year or two years or three years or however long it takes. If we begin to think of each of ourselves as, as a missionary, of, uh, as each of ourselves as disciples who make disciples then that begins to open all kinds of new doors, all kinds of new possibilities, uh, much different than the just show up on Sunday and attend model. And, and, I, and I know that's uncomfortable for some of you because that was the church that I grew up into, right? My job as a Christian was to be here on Sunday. But Jesus says, I chose you to produce lasting fruit. And I don't think that's just a measure of, of how long fruit stays fresh. I don't think that's a measure of, of, uh, of quantity. I think that's a measure of quality. What kind of faith are you developing in your kids? I, and, and I think it starts small. I think it starts here. I, I think the kind of discipleship, disciples who make disciples, I, I think that whole thing, believe it or not, I think it begins here in this room when we begin to disciple each other. And I know there's all kinds of questions. Well, what does that mean and what is that about? That's okay. We're, we're going to get to that. I think it happens around your kitchen table. I think the, the number one discipling environment uh, it, for the future of Williamson County and Nashville and Franklin will not be a building, but will be your own kitchen table. Are you ready for that? I know that's not the kind of church we grew up in. But what if, 
What if the reason God placed you in Nashville has nothing to do with a new job? What if the reason God placed you in Nashville has nothing to do with the good schools? What if God placed you here to fulfill his mission? What if discipleship is not just a ministry of the church, but is the one and only ministry of the church? What would it look like if we quit adding, if we quit just attending and instead dedicated ourselves to the production of lasting fruit, no matter how long it takes? What would it look like if we multiplied our faith? What would happen if we, despite our fears, despite our inhibitions, despite our traditions, despite our hang-ups, despite our feelings of, of inadequacy, of, despite our feelings of, well, I don't know if I'm the right person for this, and I don't know if, I'm the, if I know enough. What if, what would happen if we, instead of you know, complaining about not knowing enough, simply trusted God's choosing of us? I think we can add and add and add to our churches, and I think that's good. I think the church is important. Don't get me wrong in that. But if we do the math, it'll never be enough. God is teeing them up for us. Do you see that? They're coming right to us. What would happen if we began to multiply our faith, to make disciples? who make disciples. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much for your word, for your teaching. Um, I, I am so moved by this incredible picture you paint of a, of a, a, a flowering, uh, flourishing, fruitful vine. Father God, let us once again be connected to you. Let us trust that you're the source, you're the vine. It's not us, it is, and it isn't about your choosing of us. It isn't about our worthiness or, or how much we know. But Father God, you choose us because of a potential that you see based on your own mission, based on your own vision, based on the incredible grace that you have for us. So Father God, let us, uh, as we enter into this time of communion, as we consider your son, Jesus Christ, and his great sacrifice for us, let us also consider the incredible mission, the co-mission that he invites us on with him, not by ourselves, but, but with Christ, Father God. We let us step into this mission. When we see construction cranes on the horizon, let us not moan and groan about traffic and lines and crowding, but Father God, let us see an awesome opportunity to advance your kingdom, to advance the cause of Christ in our world, in our neighborhood, in our streets. Father God, fill this church, fill every single man, woman, and child with this compelling mission and vision. Help them to trust in your choosing of them. Father God, we love you. And in your son Jesus' name, everyone together says,